adoring fans. It is I, Travis Pastor of Home Run the Jewels podcast, brought to you by so-called fantasy experts. It has been so, so very long. It's been probably three weeks since we talked last. Um, I was on vacation before the All-Star break, and then it was the All-Star break, so we've been off for two whole weeks. The last time we had a podcast, Carlos Carrasco was almost throwing a no-hitter. So that's just how young <laughs> it was. Uh, tonight on the podcast, we have uh, one of our favorite guests, Dan Dominic. Dan, how have you been? I've been doing well, Travis. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've been on. Um, and uh, a lot's happened since I've been on last. I'm sure there's a lot that, that we'll uh, have to get to, we'll have to touch on here. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of new prospect call-ups, a lot of uh, potential trade developments and everything that I think are going to be important for the listeners to, to really know about. Yeah, the, it's really getting um, it's getting very difficult to pick out the next prospect who gets called up when the prospect on your team does get called up. Uh, I got mm-hmm. a few leagues where I have minor league spots, so I'm holding guys. It's like, okay, uh, Carlos Correa came up. Cool, all right, I'm going to pick up Kyle Schwarber. He'll come up at the end of the year. I'm good. A month later, Kyle Schwarber's up. Now I'm going to find somebody else to fill that minor league spot. Uh <laughs> And now we're into the deeper prospects. It's like these guys might have been ranked 40 or 50 when the year started. I'm trying to think, are they going to get called up this year? It's, uh, sure, it's been sure. wacky. Uh, how have you dealt with the uh, influx of youngins? Well, unfortunately, um, it's been really sort of hit or miss for me. I've I, I had some luck early on in the season with some guys like um, – Drafting Jock Peterson, uh, grabbing Steven Souza uh, off a of free agency early on in the season, etc. Um, but I, 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 I did have some luck early on with Archie Bradley until he until he was injured and, and ultimately hasn't been the same pitcher since. But it's been a lot of um, it's been a lot of near misses for me, and that's in part because I generally am very skeptical when prospects first come up. So, for example, this year I was late on Andrew Heaney. I was late on Schwarber. Um, I was late on Addison Russell. Uh, One of my more, uh, I guess, infamous near misses was I was about five hours late on going to pick up Mike Trout when he was first called up. And to this day, I regret it because I was in a keeper league, and I sort of forever lost that opportunity to have a crowd. So, yeah. but despite that, I'm just I'm generally a little skeptical of prospects. So, you know, I can't say I've been in t- uh, I've been terribly active, but the few that I have taken some chances on, like Jock Peterson, this uh, in the draft uh, have paid have paid off pretty well for me. It's been a strange sort of flip. Um from last year when most of the prospects who got called up were not very good uh, in the in their in their brief stint. I know John Singleton was one of the first big-name guys that came mm-hmm. up last mm-hmm. year, and he was tearing apart AAA, and he came up and he batted like 187, and then he still hasn't been able to get back. Um, well, this year, obviously, there was Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson, you know, Steven Souza, who were people were drafting uh, back in mm-hmm. March. But it seems like every person who's come up after then has really, if not been like a huge producer, they've been pretty consistently average or good. Or, you know, if you need a third infielder, Addison Russell's a fine third infielder or even second infielder. Some of these guys have been probably pretty valuable to teams who just were like, oh, man, I, who am I going to get to fill my third base slot? Oh, I can plug in Joey Gallo for two weeks or something like that because he sure, was playing sure. well. But um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really, every seems like every other day there's another one coming up, um, which makes me first. I'm worried about next year when people have to start drafting and they're like, well, I'm just going to draft all these prospects because they just come up and they're great right away. Exactly, uh, exactly. Which will be an interesting discussion for next year. But <laughs> the All-Star break is over. Uh, we're in the home stretch. So sure to playoffs and to Roto Championships and all that good stuff. Um, so you got to manage your second-half team. Made it this far. You know what you're doing. But uh, what is one thing that you kind of look for when you're managing your second-half team? Are you you know, always just looking to add more and more pitching depth? Are you looking for 
um, to, to maybe trade if you have too much pitching, try to trade that for a bat. What is your, your sort of go-to move for the second half? Sure. Well, I think that just to, to sort of caveat all this is that obviously league specifics are going to be a huge uh, component of how you manage your team. Of course. Um, obviously, if you're in a keeper or a dynasty league versus a standard redraft league, you're going to – excuse me, I have a sneeze. <sighs> oh, I thought for sure I was going to have a sneeze mid-set. Sorry, I apologize. Um, That's all right, Dan. It's, so, it shows this is real life. It shows that this is not pre <laughs> – no, it's edited. not scripted. Is, it's not really live. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, um, so if you have a keeper dynasty league, for example, you're going to manage your team completely differently because there's sort of that component of preparing for next year versus going all in this year, so on and so forth. But as a general rule, um, you know, it really sort of depends on team need. One thing that I really like to do with uh, with my roto teams specifically, is I like to go light on pitching at the beginning of the year. And that's because I think that it's easier in terms of building your team and addressing needs and improving your position in the standings if you have pitching stats to chase and have a plethora of hitting versus the alternative, which is where you perhaps overdraft pitching or have too much pitching early on in the season, perhaps reach your max pace too early. And now you have a team that maybe has, let's say you've got Felix Hernandez and you've got a, uh, like a James Shields type who are both having really good seasons. And now you've reached your, your max or are very close to your max with a month or more left in the season. And now you have no leverage whatsoever to trade uh, you, you basically have to either have these guys completely worthless on your roster or get pennies on the dollar for them in the trade market. So my sort of team building strategy in Roto Leagues is to be light on pitching early and then just focus on acquiring uh, quality pitching through that sort of trade from a position of strength for a position of need. So you know, that's kind of how I manage my Roto. Now, as far as if I'm in a head-to-head league, um, you know, I, I'm going to handle it completely differently. That there, it's it's strictly you don't have in a lot of cases you don't have a max pace, et cetera. So, you know, you just kind of focus on what statistics you need, what you're weak at. Um, you know, I've I've had in, in one particular league of mine actually my my pitching has absolutely taken a complete nosedive. So. Um, now, in that particular league, I'm focusing on treating some of my offense to, to try to re- improve that pitching, try to get some two-for-one deals, et cetera, et cetera. In another league I have, one of my final leagues, I, I have very good pitching, and I've, my offense has hit sort of a slump, in particular my infield. So, um, you know, that particular league I have guys like Matt Wieters and Pedro Alvarez in my starting lineup. So I'm having a little bit of trouble with batting average, so I'm trading pitching there to focus on that need, that category need there in average. So really, just as a general rule, I think it's about focusing on on your team needs and focusing on strategies that allow you to address needs from positions where you have depth, from positions where you already have more talent than perhaps you even need. Yeah, I definitely... I definitely can agree with the uh, having more talent than you need sort of uh, V1 things. Uh, Similar to you, I kind of go a little lighter on pitching. I usually go one or two top-line guys and just fill it out with really cheap, low-level dudes and hopefully Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hit on some rookies, hit on some breakout years, hit on some reclamation projects. Like uh, I I try, I thought, I I went for A.J. Burnett last year instead of this Mm -hmm. year, so I I messed that one up. but I do sort of the same thing, a little different. I tend to just hoard starting pitching, even if the guy, like uh, Matt Schumacher, I just picked up in one league. And he mm-hmm. really well last night or two nights ago. But, like, I'm just picking up guys who have the potential to, you know, if they bounce back to what most people thought they'd be, they'd be great ads, like uh, Ian Kennedy or, like I said, mm-hmm. Matt Schumacher, mm-hmm. stuff like that, where it's like, okay, they're playing bad now. Early in the season, people thought they were probably top 200 players, maybe top 50 pitchers, even if depending on how highly you were of Ian Kennedy. But mm-hmm. if those guys, and if they're on the bench, you know, if they pitch poorly, all right, no big deal. We can cut them later. 
But if they do start to turn it around, A, I'd rather have them turn it around for me, and B, I don't want somebody else to have them. Um, I, sure. I know, I know a lot of people are jumping on Chris Tillman right now because he's had two or three good starts in a row, and he's had a terrible season. Stuff like that where it's, you know, you don't want to give up. Um, obviously, if you have the space, like if you are just floundering and you need to cut a pitcher to add, you know, another infielder because everyone's hurt, that's a different story. But uh, mm-hmm. if you've drafted Ian Kennedy to be your number two guy and he's stuck, I wouldn't, well, probably very, very frustrating. I would tend to hold on to him. Most people don't. So I like scooping in and uh, throwing the, grabbing those guys. But uh, I really have a hard time trading that plethora of pitching that I usually always acquire. Like I'll always have two or three really good bench guys that I just can't use or a guy coming off the DL and it's too mm-hmm. much. Um, I know you were saying you try to work two for one. I find a lot of times that when I offer two for one to somebody, they just immediately think, oh, he's giving me two crappy players. I'm getting, and I'm giving back one good player. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people really look at, all right, well, I'm getting twice the innings and twice the strikeouts and twice the win potential for this one guy. Obviously, if you were trading two very low guys for Clayton Kershaw, that makes sense. But uh, sure, how, do you, sure. how do you sort of navigate that, that problem? Well, I think there's uh, th- there are a couple of factors that go on there that, that can – either help make a two-for-one work or could kill a two-for-one. Um, you know, one thing I generally like to do, one, one instance where, in particular where I really like to try to pull off two-for-ones is if I have a guy who's coming off the DL very soon and he's a guy who I'm definitely going to keep, what I'll do is uh, find a couple of guys in that, that aren't going to be bottom-tier players on my roster but aren't going to be uh, aren't going to be aces. I'm not going to package a two-for-one deal that includes, you know, Clayton Kershaw and Mike Trout as the two, obviously. Yeah. But what I'll do is I'll find two mid-level players on my roster who, you know, who, who that way I'll allow. What, I'll, what my thinking is is that the player who's on my DL, who's coming back, plus, let's say, the worst player on my roster – if I take those two players and compare them, and I think that they're going to be more valuable to me than the two guys I'm trading away, then I'll go ahead and make the uh, and, and try to make the two for one. I think part of it too is knowing the other owners in your league too. Sometimes, you know, one one thing in particular for me on on the flip side to, to turn the uh, spectrum around, I almost never accept two for ones because. I'm getting the two, I'm giving up the one, and usually when you give up the one in a two-for-one, it's the best player in the deal. Plus, um, I have to drop somebody to make that deal work if I'm getting the one. So as a general rule, I don't do the one in a two-for-one. But knowing the other owner that you're dealing with, for example, if if that particular guy has... uh, Well, here's a perfect example. Early on in the season, in this particular season before you know everything turned out to just crash and burn for me in one league i had um, i had pedro alvarez ryan zimmerman i had pedro alvarez and ryan zimmerman at third base and i had pedro who became and zimmerman who both became first base eligible plus brandon moss plus joey Votto, all eligible at first base so what i did was i Pulled from of a uh, pulled from a position of death, so I figured, hey, one of those guys is going to have to ride my bench every day, and he could. This being early in the season, no one knowing how the season was going to play out, each of those guys was at least arguably a starter, given given the depth of the league. So I figured, you know what, this guy, whichever one of these four I give up, is going to instantly become the other team's starter even though one of them is going to be on my bench anyway. So because I had so much depth, I was able to package a two-for-one that actually benefited him, gave him two starter-caliber players, but I still got the best player in the deal in return. So, you know, you can make two-for-ones work, but you really have to make the two worthwhile for the other owner for them to consider it, given all of the, the other factors, that they have to drop a player, that they likely are going to give up the best player in the deal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The, just getting around that sort of initial shock of, why would I give up 
player X and Y for player A. Like, obviously, I drafted player A in the third round, and you picked up player these two players. That's, I think, a big, just the initial shock when people see it can sort of throw them mm-hmm. off. Um, sure, sure. Well, here's, here's one thing to put, just to, real quickly, I want to spend too no, much time on this, but here's one thing that, that you can put into perspective when you, whenever you do have an owner who has that initial skepticism. If you play a particular, and this again depends entirely on on the specifics of your league, but if you let's say you're in a league that allows draft pick trading, which I've I've played in both, I've played in leagues that do and don't allow it. If you make a trade in the off season, let's say you trade your you get you trade your seventh round pick and your twelfth round pick for a fourth round pick. Nine times out of ten, the guy getting the two picks is going to say that's a good deal for him because those two players, whoever he could get in those two rounds, are going to be better than whoever he picks in the fourth round plus that end of the end of the draft pick that he ultimately has to forfeit to get the extra pick from you. So when people put it in a draft pick, and this may be, I guess, more of a, uh, of a knock against leagues that allow draft pick trading than it is a way to persuade play, people to do two-for-one trades, but... A lot of times people, when you put it in that draft pick perspective, people like the two. They want the two. They, they'll, they'll take the two. But when you put names on those picks, on, on those uh, pieces, all of a sudden now the, the, the person giving up the one is thinking they're getting wamboozled. So, I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting how, um, how the abstract of doing, it, doing that same kind of trade via draft picks has a completely opposite uh, perception than when you get a two-for-one in-season player trade. Yeah, and um, the draft pick thing is interesting because when you were sort of describing it, I think I would tend to be more inclined to take that earlier round pick depending on if this is a keeper league, how many people I get to keep and stuff like that. Sure, sure. And that, may, can, that, definitely, that definitely can play a factor as well. In that I may want to just get the – like if I think my team is one player away, I may make that trade and, you know, get a, a – a, a, not a stud, but like a pretty good third rounder mm-hmm. give up mm-hmm. my fourth and my seventh because, you know, I don't need that seventh round pick or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the super ones – I think that's something a lot of people think about doing. Uh, I don't think a lot of people approach it the right way. Uh, obviously, we've gone through what? that. And, and understanding, well, you know, the other managers, like I'm in one league, very, very um, stingy and suspicious mm-hmm. managers of course. who are not very fond of – first of all, they're not very fond of trading one for one either. They're more about packages. <laughs> so they, they always want to do three for three. It's like, no, well, I just want to trade uh-huh. one guy, and I want your one guy. So sometimes I've had to throw in, like, you know, uh, like a, a pitcher on my bench who's okay that I could live without and just throw him into the trade and say, look, I, I want this one for one, but since you are suspicious and, you know, don't trust people mm-hmm. to trade one for one, you can have – my Minnesota Twins pitcher, like a Trevor May or something. When he was sure. Well, it's funny, just one final war story about that. I actually had a league that I'm the, the manager of who uh, last year we had a trade go down that was a six – it was a six-for-six six trade. But it was that kind of trade. It was a keeper league trade. The team that was – one of the sides was um, – giving up Miguel Cabrera, and the other side was giving up Clayton Kershaw. The side that was getting Miguel Cabrera was a last-place team. They were out of it, and the team getting Kershaw was a legitimate playoff contender. And it was one of those things where when you really looked at the trade, it was really in – it was a de facto 6 for one trade. Basically what happened is that the guy who gave up Miggy basically gave up he was getting Kershaw and five players for Miggy, and he just said, hey, let me throw the five players I would drop anyway into the trade, and we'll make it a six for six. So, you know, sometimes you can go really off the rails in terms of blowing those trades up. Those are those ones you really have to watch when you have these sort of team-for-team team kind of trades that happen like that. I'll, I'll do you one better. I okay. Got last, I saw you last year, and I think I said this on the podcast for all you repeat, repeat listeners, and I know – we have a huge following. Um, 
all of you repeat listeners have probably heard me say this. Last year in one league, it was a nine for one for Mike Trout. Oh Trout's. my God! They trade. It was like three people on the DL, two people in the minors, and then four actual stars. And literally, only one of the people he traded for Trout became anything of value. Um, and I think it was D Gordon. So it's basically like I get the idea. Like, okay, uh, my team's not very good. I have Mike Trout. Let me try to fill in these holes. But he, he really got terrible pieces. Like. It was just like uh, I don't I don't know if you remember James Jones on the Mets. oh yeah yeah uh-huh. had, like, yeah I remember a, James Jones he had like one month where he stole eight bases and that was it and then he was in the minors the rest of the year like he was a key mm-hmm. piece in the field it was pretty crazy but obviously well that leads I'm going to hijack you for a second I'm going to pose a question for you and I'm, I'm yeah, going to go flip the script on the moderator here so. That sort of opens up – I'm actually working on an article right now for so-called fantasy experts, and it's an article on what I like to think of as the great trade veto debate. Uh, and you, should, so I'll you know post, who you should talk to? You should talk to Joe Bond because Joe Bond – Oh, well, veto. Joe and I agree on everything, so so I'm not sure how much of a conversation that would be. That's true. <laughs> that really is true. You guys – it's odd. It's eerie. But continue. But – so I pose that question to you: What what happened with that nine for one? Did it actually clear? And do you think it should have cleared? Um, it cleared. Uh, the team getting Trout was in tenth out of fifteenth, and the team trading Trout was in fifteenth out of fifteenth. So it ended up not, you know, making too big of a difference. Um, I kind of think when trades like that go through. I don't so much think like, man, that's an unfair deal. I think like, wow, if he was willing to trade Trout for that, like at that same time, I was thinking, you know what? I just got Bryce Harper back from the DL. I have all his pitching. I can give him Bryce Harper, Tyson Ross, and a prospect for Mike Trout as opposed to the nine for one. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that would have been a better deal for him, you know, long term. It may not have had the immediate – maybe he was really trying to say, I don't want to worry about next year. I want to get back up to standings this year. Um but I'm not really for the trade veto just because it's sort of like, oh, we as a league think you're screwing, you're screwing us on purpose. Like, well, you know, if you propose the nine for one for Trout, if you're willing to go to those lanes, maybe, you know, I think the guy should have been rewarded for be, for taking like the kind of the uh, asshole step of saying, I'm just going to give you half my team for Mike Trout. Let's do this. So hmm. I'm generally I against it. I think there's really two positions, and I generally, I, I, I generally agree that you should use a veto as absolutely minimally as possible. But I think there's really two positions, and this is kind of what the subject of my article, not to give too much away, uh, just a sneak preview here, but I think the two main positions are <clears throat> the first one, which is kind of the one that most people are probably familiar with, which is collusion only. That a trade should only be vetoed if it's absolutely proven that there was some kind of collusion, some kind of impropriety, some kind of, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, cheating between the yeah. two or more owners involved. Um, versus the other position, which may, which I don't think is as common, but it's this sort of, I'll call it the de facto collusion position, which is some trades are just so bad, even if there's no way of proving collusion, that they're just so bad that they de facto are evidence of collusion, that there's no rational explanation that they sort of damage the integrity of the league to allow that kind of trade. Like, for example, let's say you had a guy do, let's say a guy traded Mike Trout straight up for James Jones, you know. You might be able, if you took that sort of absolute collusion position, you may not be able to prove it. But yeah. in reality, do you want to be a part of the, the, the What will happen is that the people in the absolute collusion position, if that kind of trade happens, they'll say, well, your your solution, your remedy is just quit the league. Why play yeah. a league that, does, that allows that? I, I generally kind of like the leagues I'm in, and I don't like to have to think that my only uh, recourse if that kind of trade happens is is to quit because I'd like to stay in those leagues. I'd rather I'd rather deal with the owners involved than 
just give up on everybody, I guess. So, you know, just kind of a sneak peek of what I'm, what I'm working on for so-called fantasy experts. See, the only way I would try to, and this would have to be a whole new system, uh, and I'm sure there would be flaws, but I, I remember when Yahoo, when I used to play on Yahoo, there was obviously like a can't cut list or something. So they took like yes. some, they took the 50 best players and they said, you just can't drop these guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously this would be open for interpretation. and It's very early stages of me literally coming up with this 10 seconds ago. But I know like in the NBA, obviously, you can't trade somebody who has making $15 million a year for somebody making the, the league minimum just to stack your team. So maybe sure, sort of sure. like, uh, like if, if Mike Trout's a five-star guy, the most you could trade him, you couldn't trade him for like, like mm-hmm. a two-star guy or something. Well, well, I want to say if I if I remember correctly, I, and I don't this this is sort of even maybe dating myself, but I, I I want to say maybe like maybe ten years ago or so when I first started playing fantasy on ESPN, maybe I recall this incorrectly, but I seem to recall that there was a setup, a, a league setting that you could do that essentially did assign um, sort of predetermined salaries, budgets, et cetera, to players. And you couldn't exceed that maximum salary cap. So I, I, I think I know where you're going with in that regard is that you kind of set up some kind of system where Yeah, where um, you're getting you're getting basically the equal value. for lack of a better way of putting it, to, to to put it in its simplest way, that the two sides in the trade have to be pretty close to equal in quote unquote salary yeah. in order to prevent that sort of Mike Trout for James Jones kind of trade. It was such a bad trade. <laughs> I wish I had wrote down all the people in it. It was like one guy never came back off the DL. Another guy went mm-hmm. on the DL. It was like, it was just so bad. Anyway, it's, it's, I can't, I can't even continue. Oh, to yeah. I just, re- just real quick. I remember the, the six for six that I was talking about earlier. So I, I don't recall the five throw-ins that the Miguel Cabrera owner uh, added to the trade. But the six that was giving up, the last place team that was giving up Kershaw, I think he gave up something like it was Kershaw, Matt Holliday, uh, D. Gordon. Um, I want to say that there was another, um, I think maybe Danny Santana was in that group. I mean, it was, it was maybe five or six starter-worthy players including Kershaw going away in the field to get Miguel Cabrera and five dump players. I mean, it was, it was probably one of the, uh, it was probably one of the most uh, hostily viewed trades that ever happened in this league. There was quite an uproar and, and the, uh, the owner giving up Kershaw actually was very apologetic. He, he said he didn't realize that it was going to be looked at so hostily. And as soon as he basically, he, he, supported vetoing the trade and reworking it out. So, you know, ultimately it was resolved, but uh, yeah, sometimes those kinds of things happen. Yeah. Uh, last thing on the trade veto, I would definitely definitely send a, a tweet over to uh, Joe Bond at Fantasy Six Pack because he, he, I was on his podcast probably two months ago talking about this and he was like fuming <laughs> about the trade veto and how much he hates it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But We've touched on how the best way to manage your team, maybe do those two-for-ones, uh, hoard some talent that could bounce back, because the second half is still a pretty long time. It's not like we're down to three weeks left. we still got all of August, no. half of, half of well, probably a third of July, and then September, too. So you got a lot of time left for your team. Exactly. I think, in, I think in your standard um, your standard head-to-head leagues, counting this week as week 15, I think there's still another seven or eight weeks, I think, left. So, I mean, a good third of the, of the regular season in those head-to-head leagues. So there's still quite a bit of time left. Yeah, and so you, can, you could pick up a Matt Schumacher, and he could get hot for a month and a half, and he could be just as valuable as, you know, uh, a Max Scherzer down the stretch if they're, if they're pitching as well. I know a lot of people, Carlos Carrasco last year, won them leagues because of how well he pitched, and he was on the, the free agent wire for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we've discussed the strategies. Uh, now let's get into who, you know, if, if either of us are thinking of doing some of these, who we're going after. Uh, I'll start it off with my list. Um, I threw together a few guys. And my first one, um, some people 
depending on how they they still view him, might be not willing to sell this guy because he has been a star for a while. He's had a pretty down year. He's had some injuries. Uh, and that's Adrian Beltre on Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He has he started off really slow out of the gate. Um, and if and if somebody obviously owns Adrian Beltre, he was probably a first three round pick. If it's a snake draft, if it's a a auction, he was probably you know twenty mid twenty dollar range. Um, sure, sure. So I think that's sort of working into it. Is you may be fed up. Like I paid all this money for this guy and he's done nothing. Then he he hurts his thumb. He's not hitting for the power or the average. So maybe people are a little fed up. But I think over the last month or so, probably three weeks, he's sort of started to come alive um, in that he's, you know, just hitting better. His average was hovering mm-hmm. around 30, I think, for a little while. He's getting some RBIs. He's, he's scoring runs because Prince Fielder is having a great year and driving them in. But I think the, the mix of the injury, the age, because he is 36, people may think, you know, he's just done, and the slow start to the season, and the stats not looking great. If you need a third baseman or, or even some power or average, I think he's going to, you know, bounce it back up. And uh, he only had 19 home runs last year, and he has seven this year. So let's, say he, let's say he gets hot and hits another seven down the stretch. Seven home runs in two months is a pretty valuable commodity. If he hits, gets to 10, that's even better. So I think I would uh, I would take a chance on Beltre. What would would you go after him or? Uh, I'm glad you brought him up. It actually gives us something to debate a little bit here. I actually am staying away from Beltre. Um, I'm doing everything I can in leagues I have Beltre to get rid of him. And there's one reason and one reason only. He has publicly admitted that his thumb issue is still bothering him. He's publicly admitted that he is still having hand issues. He's still having pain issues. That really concerns me for two reasons. Number one... How long can he play with the pain? Number two, with the Rangers falling farther and farther behind every day, it seems, how quickly will they just decide to shut him down for, you know, for future concerns or, or bring Gallo up and give Gallo the everyday job so that Beltre can heal? I'm, I've got some real health concerns. I'm not concerned about performance so much as I am about the health. I just... I. I have a very bad feeling that Beltre is, is either going to be one of these guys who regularly misses time because of to, to try to minimize his pain, which is fine if he's performing well those four to five days a week he plays, but that also means two to three days a week you've got to find a replacement at third base for him. Or he ends up, it ends up just getting to the point that it's so unbearable, kind of like Ryan Zimmerman with his plantar fasciitis. He tried to play through the plantar fasciitis until it got to the point where it just was so painful that they shut him down and put him on the DL. I have a very real concern that the Rangers might do the same thing with Beltre eventually. Yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying about just shutting him down and bringing Gallo up, getting him reps. Um, so that that does concern me a little bit, but he's been hitting a little better uh, and the if, you know if the thumb does heal up in the normal amount of time, I think it's a, not a bad bet to go for, especially because he has had such a pedigree of being such a great hitter. And uh, playing with a hurt thumb, obviously not great. Probably going to impact his home run total because it's probably harder to grip a bat. But absolutely, still, absolutely. Not just not just that, but I mean, how, how how might it affect his fielding, his his defense in the field? And um, you know, even if even if he can somehow swing a bat without pain, he may not be able to to field a ground ball or or barehand a chopper down the third base line. And that could um, so, sometimes we've seen where players uh, defensively their their struggles affect them at the plate as well. It becomes sort of a mental problem for them. Yeah. I'm sure all the Ian Desmond owners just nodded. Exactly. That's exactly who I'm thinking of there. Ian Desmond or perhaps Marcus Semyon is another one that, that comes to mind that is very offensively talented, but you have to wonder if their defensive liability has caused them to uh, to really struggle. Man, those 10 errors in four games or whatever really killed Desmond's season. All right. So... I'm on the Bell trade train. Well, also, this, again, depends on what I'd have to give up for him. If I have to give up 
you know, uh, like a, a pretty good player, I think I'd stay away. But if I could work mm-hmm. a two for one for him, I think I may take a chance on it. Um, if if I'm in need of some RBIs, just some hitting. sure, sure. Uh, who who are you going after if you're not if you're not on the Beltray bandwagon? Well, I'm I'm looking at somebody, and and I I really wanted to dig up someone who wasn't an obvious name because okay, most owners really know the obvious ones. So this is actually somebody who I recently was was working on a trade for his owner ultimately decided to just drop him, and I scooped him up basically right away. And that's Neil Walker of the Pirates. Oh, uh, God, that was my next one. You're great mind. <laughs> great mind to like, continue. Exactly, exactly. So you know some of the arguments I'm going to make, but for the, for the listeners, I'll make those. I'll, I'll go ahead and state those anyway. So there's really one big item that stands out for me that makes me want to get on that Neil Walker bandwagon, and it is – how unlucky his home run fly ball rate has been this season. So to put into perspective, Neil Walker's career home run fly ball is 9.7%. The last three years, it's been at least 10.6%. So as a, you know, generally one out of every 10 fly balls, one out of every eight to 10 fly balls he hits becomes a home run. This year, despite hitting roughly at his, or I'm sorry, exactly at his career rate of fly balls, his home run fly ball rate this year is almost half what it was last year. He's, he's hitting um, line drives at his career rate. He's hitting ground balls at his career rate. He's hitting the lowest soft hit contact and the highest hot, hard hit contact since his 2010 season. He's hitting the ball harder than he has in the last five years. He's hitting the ball. He's lifting the ball just like he normally does, but he's hitting half as half as many of his fly balls are becoming home runs. That to me suggests that he's been a quite a bit unlucky in terms of his his fly balls traveling. Now that might be somewhat health related. He has had some some nagging injuries here and there, which isn't typical Neil Walker thing. But this is a guy who you know generally is at or near that 20 home run, 15 to 20 home run plateau as a second baseman. Right now, I mean, he's on pace for 14, 13 to 14 home runs this year, despite basically his peripherals being exactly in line with last year's. So I think that Walker's a good bounce-back candidate down the stretch here this season to maybe he adds another 10 to 12 home runs this year, gets close to that 20 home run range once his, his fly ball rates normalize. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I had been targeting Neil Walker a little bit before that because uh, his average was just so low. There wasn't the power that for a guy, the Pirates, who are not lacking hitters, uh, were batting a cleanup for most of the season. They obviously mm-hmm. they have faith in his power abilities. They have faith in his ability to bounce back and you know drive those guys in. And for a while, he's just his batting average was so low, and he just wasn't putting up any numbers. Like it was like three home runs, twenty RBIs through June. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last month, I think he's batting over three hundred. I know he has like an, an elevated BABIP, but he is hitting the ball. He's hitting line drives. Yes. And those, those, you know, obviously if people catch those, that sucks. Um, but if you're, if you're screaming, if you're screaming out of the infield, that's fantastic. A lot of his outs I've seen have just been, you know, towering fly balls to the warning track or, or screaming line drives down third baseman that the guy just nabs. He just seems to really have been putting uh, the bat to the ball really, really well. Mm-hmm. And he, he's been – second base sort of has had a renaissance this year when there's a lot of guys who have played really well at second, it feels like, as opposed to shortstop where, like, nobody has played well. And Neil Walker, sure, sure. for a while, was one of those guys who were like, oh, he can hit some home runs. He's one of the only good second basemen. This year, I think people have really just forgot about him and, and ter- looked at the younger guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I agree with that by low candidate. I would try to get him um, sooner rather than later. Agreed. If he, if he keeps going at his current pace, you're probably not going to – the value of him is going to go up and – 
What is his exactly? His... Exactly. His his value is, has started to rise as he's started to heat up here, and in my opinion, I don't think it's going to drop. I think his value is going to continue to rise. Um, like I said, as those home runs start to come uh, closer to his career norms, and once those home runs start to come. So will the RBIs, so will the boost to batting average. And by then, if you wait until he's back, it's going to be too late to get him. Uh, yeah, I am definitely on board with that, Dan. So good. I like your pick. Uh, I don't like it because now I have to think of somebody on the fly. <laughs> who I, uh, I was all ready to talk about Neil Walker, but that's all right. Um, there is one guy who I've sort of been, had my eye on in a couple of weeks for trading for. Um, okay. I tried trading for him when he was injured early in the season. Trading for an injured player is always kind of tricky because mm-hmm. the owner who has him is has him as thinking like, okay, I drafted him to be this guy, and I think he's going to be exactly that when he comes back. You're thinking he's hurt right now, so he's giving you no value, so I can offer you less. It's hard figuring out the right value. Um, now he's sure. Back, and he came. He, I'm trying to get him for a little while. He came off the DL probably about two months ago, a month ago. And he hadn't been really great, but he's sort of been picking it up lately. And one thing I think works in his favor is that he's very overlooked on his own team, and that is Alex Rios of the Royals. Uh, oh, okay, the, okay. The, the Royals, obviously, are playing great. Every time mm-hmm. I look up, they're scoring runs. Lorenzo Cain's hitting home runs. Jared Dice is stealing bases. The team puts up a lot of stats. Um, and Alex Rios was a big free agent over the offseason, that was sort of uh, people look at him as a, a maybe not a twenty twenty guy, but they thought he could get to either twenty home runs or twenty steals, and he hasn't fully done that. He got hurt mm-hmm. on like the third game of the season, and he was killing it in the first three. Um, but then he came back and he sucked. But over the last since the start of July, he's batting three forty five. He has four steals, three RBIs. And he's basically scored a run, I think, in seven straight games. He's got 12, 12 runs in the last uh, 20 days. So I'd be going for him because his batting average is still right around 250. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's been almost 350 this month. Uh, the Royals are not lacking in the ability to score runs. and They're not lacking in the uh, the gusto to steal bases. So he stole home the other night. So yes, think, yes, he did. They they ran a double steal from first and third, and he was able to steal home. Yeah, I, I like the Rios pick. Um, obviously, it's a needs based kind of kind of idea because his power yeah, yeah. has just been sort of non-existent. But if you like, you said the the Royals are going to score runs. It's just plain and simple. So even if he's batting in that sort of six seven hole that he's kind of been in most of the season. Um, I still think there's enough potential there for him to score runs. And like you said, the Rose are aggressive on the base paths, so uh, I definitely see him continuing on his, his steals pace. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a if you're in need in the, in the speed categories, the, the runs and steals, I, I kind of like Rios. I mean, especially if you're in, in a head-to-head league, one of the strategies is to ride hot hands. And right now there are few players that are as hot as Alex Rios is. Yeah, I and that's why I've been drawn to him. Um, and I just think you could probably get him for a bit of a discount just simply because anybody owning him may think, man, why are you trying to trade for Rios? He bets eight. Like, he's mm-hmm, not the guy. Mm-hmm. When you look at a stat sheet, Rios isn't hitting a home run and driving in RBIs like Hosmer or Kane. But he's scoring runs, and he's stealing bases. And obviously the bases people usually look at. I feel like runs is an overlooked stat. The guy is getting on base. Good good things happen when you're on base for a team that can score runs. Exactly. Um, so I would I would go after him. If, he, if the guy's batting eighth, the owner may be like, you know what? I thought he was going to bat second. I'm jumping off off uh, off the ship. Take him for some low level pitcher, and uh, I think that would be a really good deal if you could swing it. Exactly, and you're still. It's still early enough on his renaissance that his overall numbers for the year still look bad enough that (laughs) his owner may overlook how hot he's been and just look. If you have an owner who's maybe a little inexperienced and who's just looking at the the season totals, he may be more than willing to give up Rios for virtually anything. He may view 
most anything is being worth more than Rios is at this point. So yeah, I, I like the Rios pick a lot. Yeah, um, his um, his overall average line before we get onto your pick is just two fifty six average, twenty three runs, two home runs, fourteen RBI, seven steals. So, but probably half of that, all of that stuff came from this month. So exactly, um, exactly. I'd go through it. But uh, on to you, Dan. Who uh, you have another guy all for right, us? So- so my next pick, I went with a pitcher. Um, I wanted to okay. do uh, I wanted to do a hitter and a pitcher. So I went with this guy, and his overall numbers may make you think that uh, you know why would why would I trade for this guy? I already know that he's good. But my contention is that he's actually his numbers suggest he should be even better. His statistics should be even better, and that's Tyson Ross of the Padres. If you look at Tyson Ross, I, I know that the the whip is a little scary. I know that the walks are very scary. I mean, he's he's got a a 4.38 walks per nine rate right now, which is um, the highest that he's had in three years. But he's also got the he also currently has the highest K's per nine rate of his major league career. He's striking out more than nine and a half batters per nine innings. He's his ground ball rate has improved dramatically. He's he's got a ground ball rate of over sixty two percent, so he's keeping the ball on the ground. He's pitching in Petco and in some of the giant ballparks of the NL West. And if you look, he's actually um he's actually been a bit unlucky in terms of he's got a three thirty two BABIP against, which his career number is of around three ten. So he's slightly on the unlucky side. And but I think that you can actually make that argument that he's been unlucky when you look at the fact that um, his his contact rates are some of the best of his career. His hard hit contact rate is the second best of his career. It's it's four percent lower than last year. Um, his soft hit rate is um, is still over twenty percent. He's keep like I say, he's keeping the ball on the ground. He's He's got a ground ball fly ball rate of over three and a half. So he's keeping the ball on the ground. He's striking out a lot of batters. And if you look at his, based off all that, his FIP actually says he's a sub three pitcher. So, you know, right now he's sitting with that high whip. He's sitting with an ERA around 3.4. If you look at the peripherals, they suggest that his ERA should be maybe almost a half run less than it already is. So, you know, if you're in the need for strikeouts, if you've got, you know, if you've got some other talented pitchers that you can kind of absorb some of the whip, and you need strikeouts, I think Tyson Ross is a pretty low risk target, given that his peripherals suggest that he's maybe been a bit unlucky in the ERA department. Yeah, I definitely, I like the stance he brought up. I'm a big fan of FIP and XFIP and all that stuff. I tend to find sure. that to be. A, a little more useful than just simply looking at Babbitt and saying, oh, man, he's getting unlucky. Um, exactly, because, you know what, exactly. You can, you can get unlucky for a whole season, and that doesn't it doesn't worry a player for his whole career. It may for you for one season. Um, I seem to recall, just to interrupt you there, I seem to recall an Eric Hosmer sophomore slump where I was absolutely convinced that he was just a Babbitt, bad luck uh, sufferer and that he was going to turn it around. And... Um, I wasted an entire year on Eric Hosmer. So, yeah, I, I, I think that sometimes people um, sort of overemphasize BABIP, uh, and it can, be a da- it can be dangerous to overemphasize BABIP if you don't use it the right way. Yeah. Um, but back to Ross, I really like that yes. pick. Um, I just pulled up his stats, and I'm just looking at a split stats because I know last year he had a big home-and-away split. So last year his ERA at home was a 1.88. So in Petco Park, he was fantastic. On the road, it was a 3.79. Not horrible, but, you know, not as great as you probably um, want from a guy who who has the ability to do a 1.8 ERA. Looking at this year, however, his home ERA is 4.4, and his Mm -hmm. away up ERA is 2.7. So if Mm -hmm. you... uh, I think it's probably more bad luck and just some fluky stuff going on in pitching in Petco. Um, sure. Most more of his starts have come away from home so far this season, so he's probably going to start a little more in the uh, spacious caverns of Petco. Of course, of 
course. No well, I think the other thing that really hurt Ross was if you uh, if you look at his splits a little more in a in a month to month basis, even if you if you subtract his his March April that first month of the season, he has not had a single month this year where his ERA has been higher than three point one nine. The 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 only reason his numbers are not better looking is because he had just an absolutely horrible March April where he had an ERA over 4.5 um, you know he allowed he allowed 14 earned runs in 27.2 innings pitched he allowed 18 walks in those 27.2 innings pitched so you know he just he, he I I will I would care to make the argument that he just had one bad month and so you know if he, if you look at it in that perspective I I think it just sort of further supports the idea that Tyson Ross is a guy that you should want on your team. Yeah, and not to, uh, I know making comparisons can be a deadly game because people think, oh, you said player A is going to be player B. So I sure. Can, you know, it just it doesn't always work. Um, but somebody with a similar situation like this last year, his ERA wasn't as high as Ross's now. But I remember people giving up on Corey Kluber last year Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. his ERA at the at half at the halfway point was in the threes, um, because he had a terrible April. So, I mean, I don't think Ross is going to go and go down the stretch like Kluber did last year. But pretty much his ERA has well, I mean, it went up a tiny bit in June, but it's pretty much gone down each consecutive month. It was a three point one six in May, three point one nine in June, two point five three in July. So it's been dropping. He's been settling in. Um, might have just been mechanics or rust or something in, in those early months, but he's looked good and really, really good over the last couple of months. Exactly, exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to go trade for Tyson Ross now, so we should probably <laughs> we should probably end this podcast so I can go steal him before anybody else hears what we've said. Um, why don't you well, shout? Before we do, I got one last name that I that I brought to the table with me today, and I wanted to throw since we've been talking about names that of people that we like, there's one name in particular that I I need to scream to people that they need to sell this guy as quickly as possible. And I actually mentioned him the last time I was on the podcast. Oh, if God, you I can still get value from Jock Peterson, you need to trade Jock Peterson away. Oh, whew. okay. I don't have him. Keep going. Jock Peterson, just to, to keep in perspective, and of course, you know, this is a, an oversimplistic way of looking at it, but here's a, a, a pretty concerning stat about Peterson, and it's hard to say if it's because he's getting fatigued, if the season's starting to wear on him, or if it's because pitchers have figured him out, whatever the case may be. In March and April, he hit 298 as a batting average. Since then, he has not had a single month where he's hit better than 236. And in fact, in June and, and July so far, he hit 222 in June and 150 in July. Despite hitting almost 300 for the entire month of March, April, he still had a first half batting average of 230. Jock is a guy, as I mentioned the last time I was on, he's a guy who. Um, had an absolutely unrealistic home run fly ball rate. I think it was somewhere when I was on it was last. It was somewhere in the – it was over 30%. It was it was just un, insanely high. Uh, yeah, and now he's, at, he's at the point now where um, his, his home run fly ball has dropped all the way to 23.3%. Um, you know, it, it's just – the home runs are starting to normalize. The fly balls are starting to normalize. And given that he's become something of a three true outcomes player, it's you know, it's not looking pretty. And the fact that he's not stealing bases is also concerning. He's He's got, uh, if I recall correctly, he's got two steals and six caught stealings this season. It's just the speed has not been there. And if he doesn't have the speed or the power, He's he's useless and he's in he's in very real danger in my opinion he's in very real danger of falling out of that leadoff spot if he continues to struggle like this. So if I can get rid of Jock Peterson, I'm taking the best offer I can get for Jock Peterson at this point. Yeah, I think the steals is uh, 
kind of a weird thing where he was a 30-30 guy in the minors, and he's only got two, and maybe just that he got caught six times, and they're like, you're done. You're not running anymore. Um, or maybe they just value the guys batting after him. I don't know, but I, uh, I'm i happy to not own him yeah, and, now and after the, that the, Stephen what's, review. What's most puzzling is that he's got maybe the, one of the best first-base coaches of all time, Davey Lopes as a first base coach. I know I said this exact same thing last time I was on, but with a guy like Davey Lopes, you would think that he would flourish on the base pads, and he's just been, for lack of a better way of putting it, he's been awful on the base pads of this season. Huh. So, yeah, I have I have very real, unless I'm in a keeper league where I get enough keeper selections that I'll be able to keep Jock Peterson, I'm trading him away for the best offer I can get this year. Yeah, I think you're definitely going to be able to get something nice back for him um, because he, you know, people see those massive home runs. And they, he, uh, he does still he does still have 20 home runs. He does still bat lead off for the Dodgers, and to a lot of people, those two factors sort of the inverse of the Alex Rios discussion we had earlier. People look at the 20 home runs for the season total. They look at the fact that he's lead off for the Dodgers. And they're not realizing how awful he's been the last two to three months. Well, make a very, very uh, good case there. I will be staying away from him. Um, I think we've named some good uh, under-the-radar guys. I know Beltre is probably the, well, Peterson might be the biggest name at this point. But some mid-level guys who can really help your team. Uh, and you probably could get them for not giving up an arm and a leg. So... Hopefully, we've won, we're in you know three months' time. You can come back and tell us we won you your league by telling you to trade Alex Rios. <laughs> Fingers or, crossed. Or trade for Alex Rios. But um, Dan, why don't you shout out your information and then we'll uh, sign off. Sounds good. So you can follow me. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, and usually it's uh, complaining about my own teams. But you can find me on Twitter at Azuri1985. That's A-Z-Z-U-R-R-I-1985. Uh, always drop me a line. I'm more than happy to, to answer trade questions, prospect questions, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, keep a lookout. Like I said, I'm working on a, uh, uh, a trade veto article for so-called fantasy experts, so you can expect that here in the near future. I hope you uh, get a chance to read it and get a chance to enjoy it. And and I am Travis Pastor. You can find me at the Real Travioli on Twitter. I too complain about middle of these pictures <laughs> blowing my whims. Um, I like to talk about how, how much I enjoy Noah Syndergaard or Kyle Schwarber's. Uh, exploits. Uh, I don't think Schwarber has won any games or done anything, you know, mind-boggling tonight. Uh, I don't think he played tonight, but so we can we can move past him. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I also am a writer for so-called fantasy expert. Um, don't have any baseball stuff coming up. I do have some football stuff coming down the pike since that surprisingly is starting soon, and I have not wrapped my head around yeah, that. I know. So that'll too be early. Something. It's still. Still baseball season. Give us our time. I know, right? <laughs> but since I do this for a job, that you know, we have these meetings early, um, so so I'll be on the site. You can find my stuff there. Um, but Dan, it's been a pleasure. It's always great talking to you. Uh, great banter. I love it. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for def- having me on. I always always enjoy being on. I always enjoy uh, participating in the podcast, and and uh, happy to uh, happy to have the discussions. We're gonna to have to get you and Joe back on a podcast soon. Get the three man, three man weave Absolutely. going again. We, we we could have had the, tonight's entire discussion in like ten minutes with with if it was just Joe and I because it was just would, would have been one of us making a point, the other one saying, "Yeah, I agree." Yeah, it's <laughs> infuriating to be honest. But um, all right, we'll we'll talk to you again soon, Dan. Thanks for coming on, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. It's good to be back after two and a half weeks away. Uh, we'll be back next week. As always, this is the Home Run the Jewels Fantasy Baseball Podcast for so-called fantasyexperts.com. Catch you guys later.